If you have your Bible or your electronic device, let's lift it above your head. Let's make our declaration of faith. Somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life, come on everybody, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Yes. John chapter number 13, verses number 4. Uh, just kind of leave me right there. I'm just, I'm, I'll make the adjustment. Turn my monitors down just a hair and, and leave me right there. I'll, I'll make the mental adjustment. The Bible declares, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Six declares, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Hmm. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, if it's like that, going to do me like that. I tell you what, not just my feet, but I need you to wash my hands and my head as well. And the people of God said, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to minister the word of God to the people of God. I'm hiding myself now behind the cross that men may not see. Give honor, glory to Greg, but all honor, all glory goes to you. I'm careful in what I say on today. I'm asking you, God, that you would allow the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, that they would be acceptable today in your sight. Bless your people, and it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says? So um, let me start off by, by highlighting a, a book that I read some time ago that really challenged me um, as a pastor, as a leader, to my very core. It's a book by John Maxwell called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. If anybody is looking to, to, to be better in your service as a leader, whether it's secular or spiritual, I highly recommend this read. It's a fantastic read, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. As John starts out this particular book, he's going to highlight the first law, which he refers to as the law of the lid. Everybody shout the law of the lid. He's going to say concerning the law of the lid, Leadership ability is the lid that determines a person's level of effectiveness. The lower an individual's ability to lead, the lower the lid on his potential. The higher the individual's ability to lead, the higher the lid on his potential. So in essence, John is saying that everything on the organization is hand on the leader. If the organization is going to go to the next level, then the leader needs to go to the next level. When I read this pop years ago, it brought about a great conviction in my heart because I realized maybe for the first time ever that I could literally, as your pastor, stand as a stumbling block to your spiritual growth. Because if you are following me as your leader, and if I as the leader stop growing, then by default, you can only grow. I, I become the ceiling of the organization, and you can only grow as far or as high as I am growing in this organization. So I made a decision, Brother Jones, years ago that as a leader, I'm going to continue to push myself and grow so I don't stand in the way of what God wants to do on the inside of you. Can somebody say amen to that? 
So in my personal leadership journey of learning about this, this, this role as a pastor, my, my role as a leader in business, my role as a leader in the community, I stumbled across the traits of a leader that I taught a couple of weeks ago, that you should be competent, that you should be self-confident, that you should walk in integrity, that you should be determined. And, and in my study, I'm, I'm looking at these traits and I'm asking God, how can I exas- how can I manifest these in my life? And God begin to deal with me personally that what I'm praying is something that he's already been doing on the inside of me through my different trials and my tribulation. God has been producing confidence on the inside of me. He's been producing competence within me. He's been challenging my integrity. And what I found that these four traits that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you can't be seen as a good leader without having all four of them. So you can't be like a self-confident leader and then stealing Come on, somebody. And people call you a good leader. You can't walk in in integrity and then at the end of the day, you don't know what you're doing and then being seen as a good leader. So you got to have all four of these traits on the inside of you. So I've been working on this for some time in my leadership journey. It took me to another study on humility and a fantastic study. I've, I've enjoyed it over the over the past maybe uh, what is it? It's, it's November now. Since January, I've been studying on humility, and it's crazy because I really thought I was an humble guy until I really found the definition of humility and found that there were some rocks of pride in my life that were okay now, but I saw how the enemy was getting ready to use them in my life to set me up for a fall later. Because how many know the scripture declares that, watch this, pride comes before destruction, Haughty spirit before a fall. So if you got pride in your life, you guaranteed to fall sooner or later. Can somebody say amen to that? So this is a journey, a journey that I've been on pop for about five years now, man, of just trying to, to, to make sure that I'm, I'm the man of God that I'm supposed to be. Because, again, based on the law of the lead, I could hinder you all's growth as, as individuals, as people of God, if I don't continue to push to the next level. I was okay with that until God spoke something into my spirit about a month and a half, two months ago, as I was making transition for this particular series. God spoke to me and he says that he's getting ready to raise up new leaders in old spheres of influence. I launched this word about three weeks ago. And as I begin to explore what this word from the Lord means, what do you mean that you're getting ready to raise up new leaders in old spheres of influence? God began to prick my heart concerning you all. God began to challenge me with this idea that I am getting ready to organize and strategically place believers in the body of Christ in places of leadership and in influence. For some of you all, it's going to be an actual position change. For some of you all, it's going to be a title change. For others of us, it won't be position or title, but God is going to increase your level of influence within your sphere of influence. Can somebody say amen to that? So if this idea of leadership no longer is about Greg McGee becoming a better leader, but now it's about the people that's connected to me, because not only do I want to make you better, Pastor, but the people that's behind you or the people that's connected to you, I want to challenge their leadership skills as well. Well, God, if that's what you want to do, I guess I should teach them the same thing you've been teaching me. How are your leadership traits? How is your competence as a leader? How is your self-confidence? How is your integrity? How is your determination? How is your humility? Are you as humble as you need to be in this season of your life? Because how many know that there are levels of humility that you've got to graduate to? 
So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to stay in this vein of leadership, not just for me. I'm inviting you all into my personal study of what God has been challenging me with, because now in this season, God says I'm challenging you with it as well. So today, I want to deal with this, this theory of leadership, which I believe it's biblically grounded, called servant leadership. Everybody shout servant leadership. Servant leadership, if you're taking notes, jot this down, is defined as leaders that seek to discover and meet the needs of those around them. Simple definition, but very, very powerful. Servant leader is one who seeks to discover what the needs are of the folk around them, and not only discover what those needs are, they do everything within their power to help meet those needs of the individual. Let me, let me highlight in the scripture how foreign this is to our society. In Luke chapter number 22, verse number 24, the Bible declares, then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So here are the disciples, these 12 boys that's been following Jesus for three and a half years. They're actually arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I'm, I, I cast out more demons than you did. I heal more folks than you did. I, I should be the greatest. Later on, James and John, they're going to come to Jesus on the side and say, Let, how about me and my brother sit on your left and on your right? Jockeying, jockeying for a position. Jesus steps in in verse number 25. This is so good. He says, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. So the philosophy of leadership, Jesus says, in the world is to find people to serve you. It's not serving other folk, but it's finding people, watch this, even to the point of sacrificing, sacrificing them, using them as pawns to get to where you need to get to. So he says, the kings and the great men of this world, they lorded over you. But 26 declares, but, but among you, it will be different. Somebody shout, it's supposed to be different. Shout it again, it's supposed to be different. Verse number 26 declares, but among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you shall take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. 27, he says, who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Now, this is a, I mean, it's a no-brainer. If Jesus is talking to me, the one that sits at the table, that's the one that's the most important. So he goes on to say the one, the one sits at the table, of course, but not here. Although I'm your master, although I'm your Lord, he says, for I am among you as one who was, y'all. I'm, I'm acting like a servant. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But amongst you, I'm a servant. Let me drive home from our foundational text how serious Jesus is about this idea, this, this leadership philosophy of servant leadership. So my wife and I, we've lost quite a few people within the, pa within the past couple of years. It's been, it's been crazy how many people that we've lost. Um, even just last night, we got another phone call of another family member that we lost in, in Philadelphia. And so I, I began to think about this the other day out of all the people that we lost. Had they known this particular day that they were going to leave this earth, what would that conversation have been like? had they known they were getting ready to, to leave this earth. Let me pitch that out to you. If it was your final day and you knew the, the, the specific day and time 
that you were leaving here, you were getting up out of here. What would you say to your loved ones? What would be your conversation to your, if you knew tomorrow, let's go ahead and throw it out. If you knew tomorrow was going to be your last day, it was it. I'm, t tomorrow, I will not wake up. So all I got is today and tonight. What would you say to your kids tonight before you go to bed? What would you say to your spouse? Hmm. In John chapter number 13, that's where Jesus is. He's getting ready to die and go to the cross. And he wants to have a conversation with his disciples. And I believe the thing that you say at this point in your life, when you know you're getting ready to die, I believe that's the most important thing that you're going to say, period. So Jesus opens up the conversation. Watch this, John chapter number 13, verses number 1. The Bible declares, it was just before Pas the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So because I know I'm getting ready to go, look at verse number 4. So he got up from the, from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, let's pause just for a second, and let's highlight what this foot washing is all about. In this particular day, foot washing was a common thing because people wore, they didn't wear, wear cute shoes. I see a bunch of cute shoes around here. After service, y'all look at my pop's shoes. Pop got on some cute shoes today. <laughs> they wore sandals, open-toed shoes. So when you get ready to go into a house, they would often have someone to wash the feet of the guests coming to the house. Now, now, it's not like what my wife tried to do, and I respect what she tried to do. I, I really do, because, you know, every time we move into a new house, she make this rule, and she'd be like, and we pulling our shoes off before we go into the house. And I'd be like, this ain't going to work. <laughs> this just ain't going to work. And I respect all the people who do that, and I, I really would like to do that, but it just, for whatever reason, it just don't work. Praise the Lord. I go in and out of my house too much to be pulling my shoes off. I thought about that thing one day, and it makes sense. I mean, think about where your feet have been <laughs> and the stuff that you have walked on and, and the, the germs and the bacteria, that's, that's the, the COVID that's on your shoes. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and you might be taking that into your house. I mean, it makes sense. I just don't want to do it, though, okay? Which is, I just, I'll sweep it out mop more, praise the Lord. But for this particular time, it wasn't about the cleanliness of the house. It was actually about the cleanliness of the feet because you wore open-toed shoes if you had some type of scratch or some type of scar to prevent some type of infection or something on the foot because this was the primary means of travel, Pete and Charlie. <laughs> they didn't have Ford. <laughs> and if they had a Mustang, it was a real horse, okay? So when you arrive at someone's house, they would have often a servant to come in and to wash your feet. So Jesus 
gives an illustrated sermon to his disciples. He's getting ready to die. And the last thing that I want to share with you all is my heart concerning servant leadership. And I'm not just going to tell you. I'm going to demonstrate it to you. I'm going to I'm going to take a servant's towel and wrap it around me. I'm going to get down on my knees, pour water on your feet, and I'm going to wash your feet. It's symbolic to me being a slave or a servant to you all. That's why when we get to what's that verse number six, Peter going to act up as he always does. The Bible declares he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. So in essence, if if the definition of servant leadership is for that person who's in charge or that leader is to recognize the needs of the people and then seek to meet those needs. What Jesus is doing in this illustration, he's actually pointing to the cross. Come on, somebody. He's saying, you're going to need me to serve you as a slave. Come on, because only slaves die like I'm getting ready to die. You don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you'll understand, you'll understand later. Verse number eight, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you in essence, unless I serve you. Get the the meaning, get the revelation behind what I'm doing. Unless I serve you, Peter, you have no part with me at all. So you know the rest of the text, Peter going to be like, all right, wash everything then, Jesus, not just my feet, get in between my toes. (laughs) When we get to verse number 12, I'm almost there. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, You also should do what, y'all? You should also wash one another's feet. In essence, he's saying, if I'm your master and I serve you, you ought to be serving one another. Hmm. I'm going to say something right now, and I'm going to say it about five or ten more times before I close this message. In any relationship, in order for, for the relationship to work best, both people in the relationship have to have the mind to serve one another. If the relationship is going to work, both people in the relationship have to have the mindset that I'm here to serve you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm here to serve. Look at what Jesus is going to say. This is so good. Aunt Charlotte, I feel like running right now. But y'all ain't ready to run, so I want to get y'all caught up. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know that serving one another is a priority, come on somebody, you will be blessed if you do that. I'm telling you, in the context of every relationship... The relationship works best if the individuals come together with the mindset that I'm here to serve you. Look at your neighbor again and tell them I'm here to serve you. Okay? So, let me give you an illustration. So, Fred comes to me with, what's his friend's name? Shaquita. 
Fred holding Shaquita's hand, and he's looking at me, and he says, Pastor, we ready to get married. Fred, go on, shy. So as a pastor, my standard question is always the same. Tell me, why do you want to get married? Fred does the same thing every single time. He looks at me. He looks at Shy, And he says, Pastor, no woman has ever made me feel like this before. I love her. I said, all right, go on with your bad self, Fred. Then I look at Shaquita. I said, well, Shaquita, why you want to get married? Shaquita's so bad, she don't even look at me. She look in Fred's eyes. <laughs> and she says, Pastor. Now, she's talking to me, but she's looking at Pastor. This man really makes me feel like a woman. I want to spend the rest of my life with him. And I'm like, go on now. Make me want to run. <laughs> now that's cute. And that's good. And I love the passion. I even love the sincerity. Here's my only problem. When I march them down that aisle and they stand before them, I'm going to say to Fred, will you take Shaquita to be your wedded wife to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others? Keep yourselves only unto her so long as you both shall live. Please respond, I will. You know what he's going to say? I will. And then I'm going to turn them to, towards each other, and then I'm going to say, all right, Fred, I need you to repeat after me. Alfred, Alfred, take thee, Shaquita, to be my wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and there too do I give thee my pledge. Here's my problem. I'm going to stand them at the altar and, and charge them with vows of service. But when they came to me, they came to me with a commitment based on feelings. Here is my problem again. How many know feelings change? And I don't care how fine she is, she will get on your, oh, oh, oh. y'all stop right now. Stop, stop, stop. Lady McGee, I need you to stop running. Let me talk about your crazy behind her. You better not be in no heels running in heels. Somebody get my wife and sit her down, please. Messing up my message. <laughs> sit it down. Y'all get her some water. Fine looking self. I do all over again. Yep, I sure do. Now I'm going to talk about you. Now watch this. Joe, I'm going to challenge them on acts of service towards one another. But when they came to me, their commitment was based on how the other made the feel. That's why a year and a half, two years from now, they're going to come to me and he's going to be like, hey, Pastor, man, I think I made a mistake, dog. 
What you mean I made a mistake? Man, pastor, she don't do this, she don't do that. She don't even cook. Her mama been cooking all her meals. When I came over there, I thought that was her food. She came for her legs, pastor. Shaquita come over to me on the side. He think he married a slave. I don't know what's wrong with him. He need to pick up his own drawers. I, if I could count on one hand all the many times, I don't heard a sister say if he can pick up his own drawers. If a relationship is going to work on any level, it can't be ba- It's not that it's void of feelings because feelings have their place. Feelings, they are important. But at the core root level of the relationship, it can't be based on feelings. It must be based on, everybody shout, service. Service. Let me show you this in the text. In the book of Galatians, somebody shout, servant leadership. In the book of Galatians, chapter number, excuse me, Ephesians, chapter number 5, verse number 26, the Apostle Paul writes, verse number 21, he says, submit to one another, submit to one another, submit, submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Now, for the brothers, brothers, let me hear you say, yeah. yeah. Now, for the brothers, it's easy for us to go to verse number 22, wives submit. But before it ever mentions 22, it actually tells us in 21 to serve one another. So what's going on? Because, oh, you're going to have to help me, Pastor. What's what's going on in the text? I'm getting ready to show you what the text. He's going to give you a command. He's going to show you roles. And then he's going to show you responsibilities. I'm getting ready to show you in the text. Here is the command. I want you to serve one another. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, the relationship works best when we make a commitment to serve one another. So he's going to say, submit to one another. Okay, so that's the command. What are the roles? Look, look at 22 and 23 together. Here are the roles. Wives, submit yourselves. Some, somebody said, who said to your own? Come, Mother Washington. By the way, Mother Washington got on them cute glasses today. I got my eyes on you, girl. And that's exactly what I got highlighted. To your own husband. In essence, you serve, what? Not, not serve men. I, I know that's a corrupt theology that's going on in certain sects of the body of Christ, making a woman slave to a man. The devil is absolutely a lie. He didn't say submit to men. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Come on. But he says submit to, look at your neighbor say, to your own husband. As unto the Lord. And then he says to the man, verse number 23, for the husband, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So these are these are the roles within the marriage. But now I want to show you the responsibility. Somebody shout responsibility. Verse number 25, here's the responsibility. Your, your role, you're to lead, man. Your, your role, husband. Brothers, let me hear you say yes again. God is calling you to be the leader in the house. But watch this. He's calling both of you all to servant leadership. What is servant leadership? A servant leader is one who understands the needs of those that are in their sphere of influence, and they seek to meet those needs. So if I am a wife, what is my husband's primary need? If I am a husband, what is my wife's primary needs? He's getting ready to show you in the text. He says, husbands, love your wives. 
Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, so if I am a man and I'm married to this woman and God is calling me to servant leadership, what is servant leadership? It is one who understands the needs of those around them and that seeks to meet them. If I am a husband, my primary aim as a servant leader is to demonstrate acts of service that makes my wife feel cared for. Looking at the scripture, my role and my responsibility, I am to act in such a way that I make my wife feel like she's wanted. Well, I make her feel like she's cared for. Like I make her feel like she's loved. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. I'm going to say it again. Mm, It works in every relationship. Not just husband and wife, but it also works amongst my children. I'm a father, but watch this. I'm also a servant leader. So as a servant Leader, my role is to highlight the needs of my babies and then seek to meet those needs. It doesn't mean that they get everything that they want because, again, the emphasis word is not wants but it's needs. What do you actually need? And once I've, I've highlighted that need, i got to do everything within my power to seek to meet that need. Yeah. I took Charity to the uh, uh, driver's license place the other day because she's been avoiding Taking this, uh, whatever it is, what's the driver's exam? Yeah, I know she ain't studied, but guess what? I'm going to help her fail forward. <laughs> I took and signed up. I know she's going to fail, first one, because she ain't studied. She's like, every time I ask about it, well, Dad, here is my plan. No, you, you got a plan, but I got a plan, too. You want to go all these places, you're going to have to drive in just a minute, because. <laughs> <laughs> Servant leadership. In the house, recognizing what those needs are, what, what those needs, and my wife recognizing what those needs are. See, right, right now, my wife, chat, my wife wants Christmas lights up around the house, but it ain't a need. <laughs> 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 Let me get out of that. <laughs> Everybody shall stay focused faster. How come only the sisters amen? They say, amen, get them lights up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I put Christmas lights up. The last time I put Christmas lights up, and y'all know I'm, I'm real meticulous about stuff like that. It's got to, like, be perfect. It's got to look great. And it took me hours to get them lights up. And at the end, I hooked them up, and they was hooked up backwards, so they didn't work. <laughs> so you know what I did? I told my wife, I ain't taking them down. They just going to stay up there. And they stayed up. How long they stay up there? Not three years. <laughs> they didn't stay up there that long. Maybe a year and a half. <laughs> I'm a giver, so I celebrate Christmas year-round. <laughs> Let's look at 533. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, somebody shall respect. Respect, respect her husband. I, I need y'all to see this. I'm, I'm almost to the place where I want to be. Thank you, Lord. So in the context of this relationship, Stand for me, just for a second, sweetie. Don't she look cute, y'all? Cute, cute. All right. So this relationship works best as servant leaders. We are. We are servant leaders. It works best when we seek to serve one another, the context of any relationship. Specifically, the scripture highlights what my primary need is and what her primary need is. Hmm. This is good. My primary emotional need 
is to feel like a man. <laughs> okay? Y'all looking at me like that. Sister's like, I don't understand. It's okay. Brothers understand. I need to feel like a man. So what makes me feel like a man? Respect. Honor makes me feel like a man. When this woman shows me honor, I can go out, pops, and I can do anything. Honey, I want you to cut down that tree. Ah, ah. I feel like a man. It's one of the primary. <laughs> she said, honey, I want you to pull up lights. <laughs> Brother need a little respect, dear. A little, a little respect. <laughs> Her primary need is not respect. It's the need to feel loved and cared for. So what is my responsibility as a husband is to demonstrate acts of service that makes her feel cared for. The analogy that I showed you earlier wasn't about me serving to make her feel. It was about because she served that makes me feel. And that relationship won't last very long successfully. So I got to serve her. I got to serve her. She's got to serve me. And in serving, I got to meet her primary need. I got to make her feel love. I got to make her feel cared for. We were, we were coming back last night, and it was crazy because um, I wasn't wouldn't really finished. I had the slides laid out, but I didn't, needed some more time meditating and all that kind of stuff. And my wife said, we ain't been on a date in, I don't know how many, well, how many hours since we've been on a date? <laughs> She said months. That's what she said. This is what I started doing, and God, God challenged me to stop doing it. You know the scripture teaches. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. So the scripture says, like, keep no record of wrong, right? Well, I was keeping records, <laughs> and I had to stop keeping records. So when she says stuff like that, usually I could calculate, because if we go out somewhere, I ask the question, is this a date? Because if it's a date, I want to check my box. So if you say, we ain't went out in three months. No, just yesterday you said it was a date. <laughs> Give me my cute music back. I'm, I'm trying to close. We good. So, so watch this. So she said, um, I'm, you know, we, we ain't been out. And I know it's not about us you know, just going out and hanging out or whatever, but I want to make her feel special. So I stopped what I was doing. And I know I need to spend more time. Watch it. I know I need to spend more time with the Lord. But I believe he was more honored, me taking out an hour and a half, hanging out with my wife, as opposed to sending her off by herself. Yeah. So I, I made that sacrifice. That's what, that's what servant leadership is. So, so if, you, if you're trying to find like this legalistic thing, and that's what too many believers do, we try to find these legalistic things. I did this, and I did that, I did that. But at the end of the day, she feels, still feels a void. Well, if I'm doing this, well, let me, let me come at it a different way and see what I need to do. And, and when my mindset is to serve her to make her feel loved and her mindset is to serve me to make me feel honored, man, it works every time. Relationship goes to the next level. Watch this. It works in every relationship. It works in this relationship. So if you come to this church, tell me, I he sure better preach today. And they better be up there singing. Good. 
you'll know how you'll do it. So when you come to the church with that mindset, in essence, you come to the church saying, what can I get out of it? When the foundation of a successful relate church relationship is not what I can get out, what can I give to it to help meet the needs of this church? And if you come to church like that, and then I come to church like that, then we both leave fulfilled. Works like that on your job if you're the boss. Look at your employee. What y'all doing for me? What y'all doing? Why y'all sitting down? And then you're an employee. He better not. This is my job title. He better not ask me to do nothing else. It ain't in my description. But when you approach it, when, ooh, just, just, just imagine, just imagine if your boss man or your boss lady comes to work, how can I better help those who are working here at this organization? Just, just imagine. And then you come to work saying, how can I make my boss look good? How can I make, if, if the supervisors come down from corporate and they come to our store, they come to our, our school or they come to our organization, whatever it is, our office, how, what can I do to make them look good? When, when you have both employer and employee coming to the table with that type of mindset, success every single time. So, so, let's be, let's live in a real world, Pastor, because, come on, let's, you know it ain't like that all the time. You know it ain't like that all the time. Hmm. Reality is, there are times when you might be the only one working. So here's the question. I got to go there. Because I, I didn't want to leave just on this little cute note, you know, because some of y'all, if I, if, I, if I ended the service right now, some of y'all will go home borderline depressed because you've already been working. And you've been serving in a relationship that they ain't serving you. You've been serving at a job and they ain't serving you. You've been serving in a marriage and they're not serving you. Some of y'all, not this church, but the church that you skipped to come to this one. <laughs> You've been serving in that church, but they ain't been serving you. So, Pastor, what you do? And I, I want to I wanna invite you into my personal, because I got scriptures in my arsenal. Me, I do. To keep me focused in times like that, because I'm telling you, I go through it. As an as a, as a, uh, entrepreneur, I go in, go through it. Through employees, as a pastor, I go through it with members, with staff members. And my marriage, there are times we go through it. Well, one of us stops serving one another. So, Pastor, what should be my mindset? I want to help you all just for a second. Can I help you all just for a second? Can I be a pastor just for a minute? Watch this. I want to show you this. Galatians chapter number 6, verses number 7. Put it on the screen. So I'm going through a situation, and, 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 and they treat me bad. They treat me bad, Pastor. They're not serving me the way that they're supposed to be serving me. Here it is. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he what? Look at your neighbor and tell him, neighbor, God ain't going to let him treat you bad long. He ain't going to let me. Now, now, understand, I ain't talking about abuse now. I ain't talking about abuse. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the man not treating you like the queen that you're supposed to be. The wife not honoring you like the king that you're supposed to be. God's going to intervene in just a moment. He's not going to let them continue to dog you the way that they dog you. I promise you God going to show up. I guarantee. So here's my mindset as a servant leader. As I'm serving, 
Sir, it'd be so funny. Sometimes my kids, I see it in their eyes because I had the same, I, I had that same look when I said it in my head. You know what else you say in my head? Can't wait to leave this house. What do you say? Sometimes my kids be walking around and I see that, I see that look on their face. I'd be like, can you, can you pick this up? Can you do this? And they'd be like, can't wait to leave this house. <laughs> you know what my mindset is? <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I got plans for every room in my house right now. As soon as it becomes vacant, we have plans. But you know what? I made up my mind. I'm going to faithfully serve my kids. I'm going to give you 100. I'm going to give you 100 until that season is over. Now, you can leave this house before you want to and be a fool. <laughs> You can, but while you're here, I'm going to faithfully serve you because just like the scripture applies to you, if you treat me wrong, it also applies to me, both for the positive and the negative. So if I continue, be not deceived for God is not mocked whatsoever man soweth, and I'm sowing good stuff. I'm sowing the right attitude. I'm sowing faithfulness despite your unfaithfulness. I'm going to reap. Come on, somebody. Let's, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit deeper. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 19. Somebody shout, Pastor, you helping me? I know I'm helping somebody. Because you're going through some challenging times in relationships. Could be marriage. It could be with your children. It could be on your job. It, it could be relationships in any context works best when you got two individuals committed to serving one another. But Pastor, what happens when it's only one party that's committed? telling you. Romans 10, 12, 19 says, do not take revenge. Somebody shout, don't get in your flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't get in your flesh. Don't do it. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will. Somebody shout, God going to pay? He says, I will repay, says the Lord. So watch this. I'm not going to curse you in my head. I'm not going to wish a piano fall down on you. I ain't wishing nothing bad on you. I'm going to continue to serve you because I know God ain't going to continue to let you do me bad long. He ain't going to do it. He just ain't going to do it. God's going to repay. Look at 20. Now, this is crazy because he says, on the contrary, if your enemy, somebody shout enemy. Don't raise your hand. But how many of y'all know what it's like to have an enemy in your own house? enemy in the cubicle next to you. <laughs> Sometimes I've driven the enemies to school. <laughs> I'll never forget, uh, this, this was years, years ago, Isha had did something. She was like maybe nine, eight, nine, ten or something. And she did something and I, and I spanked her. And uh, after I spanked her, I sat down, and Greg, he was, I don't know, he was three, four, something like that, two, three, four, something like that. After I sat down, it was like a whole 30 minutes later, and my son climbed up on the couch behind me and just hit me in the head. Pow! <laughs> you know what he was? An enemy. <laughs> On the contrary, if your enemy, somebody shout enemy. 
If they're hungry, what does he want you to do? I want you to keep serving them. I know, I know, I know. He's, he, just, he just read the previous verse. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay. I'm going to take care of them. But then, ooh. So, so, so it, it's like we do God the way our kids do us. Not real talk. How many of y'all kids, you ever told your kids, don't do this, and then you ask them why you did it, and then they start pointing at the people who did do it? As if it's okay for them to do it because the other kids? Or you told them not to go somewhere and then somebody else did something. They were like, well, I wouldn't have if they went. We do God the same way. Because when you stand at this altar as a couple, watch this. God and the people around you are the witness. Yes, they are. I'll never forget. My pastor told me, my pastor, my wife and my pastor told me after, during marital counseling, he said, if you ever, if you ever feel like calling it quits, before you go anywhere, I need you to come see me. Come see me. So about four years later, <laughs> I said, Rem Ziggers, we need to come see you. Pop, I opened up the conversation with, you said, if we were ever thinking about calling this quits, come see you. You know what that old man told us? He said, if y'all want a divorce, that's fine. But before you divorce, this, this is what I need you to do, though. He said, how many people were, were at your wedding? How many people? You looking at each other like, I don't know, about 300 people? Is that the wedding? He said, that's fine. He says, but before y'all, before y'all sign the papers, I need you to call all of those people and apologize to them because you lied to all of them. <laughs> you stood at this altar. We were still at the church then, and you lied to every last one of them. Just call all of them, and then we'll come and we'll go through the paperwork. Me and my wife, we got up and we were like, well, come on, let's, let's just go then. We just going. We just going to work it out. I don't know. So you're you making a promise before God and before the people in this, this marital relationship. Why, why are you dealing with marriage? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's, it's under attack. I'm telling you it's under attack because here's, here's the truth. The world don't want to hear it, but this is the truth. If you want to tear down the nations of the world, just keep tearing down marriages. Because marriage, the family, is the core of any successful environment at the very core. So here's what the scripture declares. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, which I, what do I want you to do? Keep serving. Feed him. If he is thirsty, what, what I want you to do? This, this is why I want you to do it. This is why I want you to keep serving. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Understand what's happening. God says that I want to use you to help bring about conviction in their hearts. Because how long or can they stay bitter when they're hanging around something sweet? Man, I'm just in the word. But you know how we do it. If they get bitter, then you get bitter. Come on now. She stopped talking, you stop talking. She start acting up, you start acting up. But he says, if you'll continue to serve and be sweet, it'll be like hot coals on their head. They'll have to say something to you because I'm using your actions as conviction to melt their hearts. Am I helping anybody in this place? 1 Corinthians 7.15. I'm telling you, I understand. 
But if the, belief, but if the unbeliever leaves, talking in the, in, in the context of marriage, somebody with you, and they say, I don't want you no more, and they want to go, let them go. Somebody shout, let them go. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go. I, I, and my wife, she's gotten on to me about this as, throughout the years as a pastor. And, you know, I, I do love people. I do love, I love people. I love my members, especially. I love my members. But every time a member has come to me and said, Pastor, I, I think it's time for me to transition to another church or whatever, I start what I'm doing right there, and I pray for them, and I bless them, and I let them go. And she'd be like, you ain't talked to them. You ain't find out where they was. No, I didn't. Why not? Because they spent some time thinking this thing through. And if they're actually wrong, I'd rather be on the opposite end where, where they're somewhere else, and they're like, you know what? I think I, I need to come back home. And they saw my attitude of how I loved on them when they left. So they'll feel good coming back home if they need to. By the same token, let's say they are right. And there's been times when people have been right. It's time for them to go. Lay hands on them. Release them. And watch this. Now they're both blessed. Because if God is calling them somewhere else, if they stay here, now now they're cursing me. Because they're not supposed to be here. So in this situation, even in the context of marriage, the devil is absolutely a lie. If a joker say he want to leave you, you let, you don't fall down on your knees and beg. Because if you have to beg him to stay now, you're going to have to beg again. Because if he want to leave now, he's going to want to leave again. So you mean to tell me every three months you're going to fall down on your knees and beg and ask him? That goes for the brother and for the sister. So the scripture declares, if they're bold enough to ask you, I want to leave, you know what? Let them go. Scripture says you're not at fault because they chose to leave. Now, I'm not thinking lightly of marriage. I'm, I'm using, the Bible gives two biblical concessions for a divorce. Number one is adultery. Number two is abandonment. This is the scripture on abandonment when somebody chooses to leave you. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now, 16 is picking up on what he said prior to this, if they're choosing to stay. Now, they're not all that you want them to be, but they're, cho- they're, they're trying to make it work. I really do believe in, the, in my wife said I messed it up, the 80-20 rule, I, that, that principle. I don't care who you marry. They're only going to be 80% of what you want. And you have to decide whether I'm going to put up with that 20. It's quiet up in here. I dated some ladies prior to Lady McGee, and I looked at their 20, and I said, I can't live with that. But when I got with my wife and I saw her 25%, (laughs) I said, I can handle that 30. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just tripping. I'm getting far off. Chris, the music going too long. I was supposed to close 10 minutes ago, my man. I just keep rolling. No, real talk. This idea about soulmate and I found the perfect one. So what do you do for the guy who lost his wife and he remarried somebody else? So he had two soulmates in the earth? No, he had to make a decision with the first one. I'm going to live with this 20. 
because it's 80% that I love and I like about her. But there's some things about her. I don't care who she is. I don't care how fine she is to you. I don't care how fine he is to you. There's a 20 that you're going to have to decide. I'm going to love him in spite of. Can somebody say amen? Y'all quiet up in here. So he says, verse number 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So he's talking to the Christian spouse that wants to leave their spouse because they're not 100 the way they want them to be. And God is saying, I want to use you, though, to minister to them. And the reality is, no matter where you are in your relationship, God is always willing to use you to be a blessing to your spouse, to help them, to challenge them. I'm grateful for my wife. She challenges me. I'm grateful for the stuff she questions me about. And sometimes, honestly, sometimes it really does get on my nerves. It really does. Last night, I'm cooking some chicken. I'm cooking some chicken last night. I'm cooking some chicken last night. And I'm doing a good job, so I think. She going there lifting up my, first of all, she lifting up my lids. Go wash your hands. Don't be in my kitchen. <laughs> lifting up my lids in my kitchen. <laughs> and she proceeds to give me a lesson on cooking the bigger pieces of chicken, as if I ain't already know that. But you know what? I appreciate it because I don't want to die. What's that called? Summer? Summer? That thing. That thing. So what's perceived sometimes as an irritation really is out of a heart of help. She wants to help. It's a heart of service. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? The very thing that might be irritating you, that might be the very thing that you call to help and to minister them through if you will allow the Holy Spirit to minister through you and stop getting your flesh and allowing it to irritate you. Am I, am I helping anybody? Last scripture, and I'm out of here. Galatians 6 and 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're doing good. Don't become weary, though. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not what, y'all? If you don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, I'm done. So here's the idea of servant leadership. God is calling for us as leaders in our houses, in our communities, on our job to serve. Leadership is not about a title. It is about understanding your role and your responsibility. What is your responsibility in the context of every relationship is to see what the needs are and to do your best to meet those needs. And some of you all have been doing well. You've been, you've been doing good but you're becoming a little weary in your well-doing because you're looking at the other person. My challenge to you today is to keep your eyes on Jesus. 